0: The vault high atop the pastoral center
1: of the Diocese of Camden. You're listening to Talking Catholic.
0: Hey, everybody, it's Mike Walsh. I'm the host of Talking Catholic. Thanks again for joining us today on this episode of the podcast. It's just me as the host. We're uh, we are have a lot of things going on in the diocese. Some of my co hosts are on vacation, and quite frankly. I'm very much um, the kind of guy that wants everybody to be able to get their job done when they're on the job and wants everybody to take vacation when they're on vacation. So I'm not calling anybody back from vacation just to, uh, just to host the podcast. So I'm going to do it today. But to, uh, to help me as my guest today, I brought back the only, a person I can only refer to as my frenemy. Um, <laughs> she, and I have, she and I co-host or co-work on a number of projects over the last almost three years now. And, um, and in that time, I've come to learn that uh, we each have a lane. My lane is the logistics lane, and her lane is the pastoral lane. And I very much have learned to appreciate the fact that she is about a thousand times better at pastoral work than I am. And she's been on a number of calls where, the, where I end up uh, yelling at somebody, and she ends up taking a much more useful and pastoral approach to correcting them in their, whatever their current mindset is. So with me today is Donna Otaviano britt Donna, how are you?
1: I'm good, Mike, how are you? It's good for you to classify our relationship now that we're frenemies. Yes. But I will say something about that. So if you're going to give me the nod for pastoral Mm. uh, and you're on logistics, so since you've engaged me in podcasts and now a YouTube show, I appreciate the restraint you use when you want to tell me how I've either recorded audio or video. is terrible. <laughs> well, I'll take my coaching from my frenemy to make them better.
0: Well, you know, that's, I've realized there's there's many things I can help the Catholic world with, um, but I I am not a theologian. I do not, pre- I do not uh, you know, I do not suggest that I'm a theologian. I am a good Catholic. I hope, well, I am an average Catholic gentleman who is doing their best to support in this case in my case the diocese of camden but the catholic faith in uh, you know at large um with whatever my few and barely useful skill sets are as opposed to you who bring a, quite a bit more to the table which is in fact why you are the host of joyful disciples a talking catholic youtube show on youtube.com talking catholic can be seen every two weeks and actually uh Right before this episode went out, just a few days before, your first episode dropped on Thursday. It was great. You had two of your friends on, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I sure did. It was really a great experience. So can I talk a little bit about it here, what it was yeah. about, what we did this no, summer? No.
0: I actually it what we did this summer. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I will tell you that the, my uh, all of my co-hosts so the second season of the show as we talked about a lot last podcast, uh, the second season of all of the shows are starting this month and I can tell that all of my hosts are much more comfortable than they were before because they are taking a lot more editorial license and a lot more uh, license and a lot more joyful um, approach to their YouTube shows. Right. Are- so,
1: so I think that's a great observation on your part since some of us, you actually strong armed into being YouTube <laughs> show hosts, right? If I may use the term uh, I would say I'm a little bit more comfortable um, this season than the last. And I actually took some efforts to, or I think I'm taking efforts to actually make them look better. Right. Cause we mostly recorded on our own with our phones and a tripod. You know, so trying to make them actually visually appealing, not just mm-hmm. around the, um, the content, because even if the content's good and you can't hear, or you can't see anything good to look at, you won't stay, you That's know, right. so some of those things I think are better. And, um, but the interesting thing is, so in, in my role for the diocese, right, I have a pastoral role in the diocese, I head up this office of discipleship and leadership. And so, when the pandemic came, most of what I do is I engage with pastors and their leadership teams. I do a lot of parish missions around missionary discipleship and and cultivating and building your own story. Well, the pandemic came, and that all that all sort of dried up. That kind of work um, on behalf of the diocese and her people. So it became a really Wait a interesting. Second, hold on,
0: hold on. Wait, I, I disagree. Actually. Uh, okay. That that particular work may have dried up, but you and I suddenly became the two busiest human beings in the <laughs> oh, yes. when, when COVID nineteen hit. So let's let's we we all we ended up having to do was redirecting our energies into we did yeah.
1: yeah, yeah but it was know, good. It was a good thing. It was good, and it was an amazing experience. And who knew I could almost do like live TV, you know, like that. All that almost you did that do did. live
0: TV. It yeah, may have been on really. the internet, but that was live television.
1: Right there. <laughs> You know, so sitting there with a mic and introducing all of our amazing guests. And we really did pull that together in a very short period of time,
0: you know, while the churches
1: were closed and trying to create content for all the different swaths of Catholics, right, that we have across Mm -hmm. the diocese for young families, young adults, you know, and really trying to do some holy things for people to kind of meet the needs that they would have. But from, a, from my specific office, it's like, well, what do I do? Because everything that I had scheduled in the winter and in the spring got, you know, canceled or moved to a later date and there's things have still not been scheduled. Yeah. So as I get, you know, over the course of this summer, it's like, what am I doing? You know, like you really, you, every once in a while in the work that you're called to do, you think, I really don't have an idea what the next step is. Yeah. So I thought, God. ahead.
0: And then I was going to say, I, you know, a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast right now might be saying to themselves, man, I think I've heard this shtick before. They've talked about all the work they do a couple of times. But the truth of the matter is, um, yeah, we've talked about it on the podcast and on the radio show about all the work we do and the projects that we're working on. But we've never really talked about how we divine that, you know, how mm-hmm. we discern it, how and, and truthfully, you and I have really only touched Briefly on our spiritual backgrounds, you know, um, it's what really helps form us when we make these decisions to create, whether it's content or create initiatives, or in your case, uh, working to, you know, being the executive director of the convocation of Catholic leaders, the joy of the gospel in in South Jersey. Um, A lot goes into that, and we end up spending a long time, and this is where that frenemy comment came from. (laughs) Uh, you and I will spend a long time discussing things, often at each other's throats, um, with the idea of trying to figure out a way of bringing a spiritual message to the people and and doing it in a way that they will be open to receive. Because there's, there's a thousand good ideas out there, right? Mm-hmm. But figuring out a way of getting people to to gravitate to it, you know, that's, that's the tricky part. And that's where, that's where you and I will sometimes not always be on the same page because um, right. I'm right and you have a different opinion. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is not true, by the way, actually. I You can uh, throw it up that way if you like, but
1: we all know better. And so do all the <laughs> listeners.
0: <laughs> the, the truth, that is the truth of the matter is that I learned early on as we were putting together the convocation back in 20, what year was that, 2018? <laughs> um, it feels so a long, long time ago, it feels like. Yeah. Um, you know, that was where I did actually learn that I had a lean. And I had to learn to come to grips with the lane that, that the pastoral side just wasn't wasn't my area, that, that I was a logistics guy and I had to be comfortable with that. But I was a logistic guy that understood what the pastoral need was and that I knew that just because something would work better the way I saw it didn't mean it was going to be received better the way you were envisioning it. And I had to sort of learn to accept that. Um, so you know one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was really to talk about your your formation specifically and how you determine things so let 's go back to the very beginning before we kind of get into what we 're doing you know into the future um, How does a person like you uh jaded angry Sick. pharmaceutical uh, yep. salesperson from Sales. of many of many Leander. a year um, you know, I've and I've worked in the medical profession for a long time. I had to deal with your cronies for for many years. <laughs> and, you know, if you had told me if if you had told me just the backstory of the person that I would be spending the next three years working with, just based on that, I would think to myself, well, that person's not going to be great. But the truth of the matter is you're phen- phenomenal because on the you, on the other side of that Donna Utaviano Brits uh, coined is this inc- it's intense in people. I mean, intense spiritual side. So I kind of wonder how does that spiritual side form and how does that become part of your daily life when you're an angry pharma rep?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I would have described myself as an angry pharma, you know, whether I was the rep or whether I was the, the leader of the team. But I think, um, you know, and, and so spiritual life is progress. You do not just say, hey, I'm going to be holy. And it's all done. It doesn't happen that way. And so we have to be really comfortable with the fact that our spiritual life is made in many cases in a series of small steps. And I also think, you know, I am a huge believer, and it's what the church teaches, is that each of us is uniquely designed by God. We are born for such a time as this, right? So everyone who's alive right now who's listening, God has a plan for you. But what I also know is that due to our human nature, we veer off that path that he has set for us over and over and over again. And so I have this vision of God, right? And I I think of him as a very good, you know, kind of daddy God. He's a good father. Mm -hmm. Is that so when I have veered off the path and, you know, it's been a fair number of times over the course of a lifetime Mm -hmm. is that, he just sits there and he goes, Donna, I, what, are that, what are you doing hooking her right here? I needed you to go left or I needed you to go straight. And now I'm over here somewhere. And he has to create an alternate plan. He has to put, either, put me in certain circumstances. He has to put people in my path, which he has done. And I recognize those things now to bring me back to where he wants to be. He's been doing that all of my life, you know, and slowly now, you know, as a seasoned adult <laughs> that I realize it. And if I look at my own story, I can see all the places he's done that. You know, or I shouldn't say I can see them all. I see many of them, you know, because someday I'm going to stand in front of him, I hope. And he says, look, let me show you this map. And it's filled with nothing but zigzags, you know, but it will be the tapestry really that he created out of my life. That's yeah. really what I envision. That's how I think of it. That it's sense?
0: interesting that, that you claim to know the mind of God. That's very nice. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not nearly so bold. Um, I, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, all of us, particularly, like you said, us seasoned Catholics. I mean, I think we have a perspective on what our faith is and what our relationship to God is. Um, but I mean, something that you and I have certainly found out many times is that um, what some people think and what we think, and maybe even to maybe You know everyone's like a snowflake and they all have a slightly different perspective on the same basic roadmap Mm -hmm. um you know how do you work i mean you work with every well hold on we're going i'm going down the line i want to talk about you a little bit longer um so so you've 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 talked about how you sort of envision your place in our our catholic faith but what do you do to you know um, help help form your spiritual perspective and, and I say that, like what do you read? What do you ro- watch? Who do you interact with?
1: So what I would share about that is, so I've been an avid reader all of my life, um, massive reader of fiction. I love a good story. Who doesn't love a good story? Yeah. Uh, but I think there are a series of circumstances, you know, in my life that change because most of what I read now are lives of saints, Lots and lots of faith-filled content. I actually read scripture every day now, which you know that's a habit of zone really cultivated in the last four or five years. Um, but I think like one of the most powerful books I ever read is called The Soul of the Apostolate, mm-hmm. and it was a a Dom of the Capuchins back I don't know seventeen eighteen hundreds, and it talks about the importance of prayer, and, and I read the book as part of a class that I was taking. And the absolute necessity of a prayer life and really a relationship with God, it is the most important thing. And I think oftentimes where we can get a little bit jammed up in this life, even in trying to be a faithful Catholic, is that we can be presented, you know, lots of different things and we can look at them and think, oh, that's a good thing to do. I should do that. It's good. It's aligned to the faith. It's a, you know, it kind of fits into the works of mercy But yet, not all of those things should we do, right? And that's cultivating this ability to discern what God wants for your life. And that really, on prayer, your ability to discern, right, the movement of the spirits in your life. Because we can be persuaded to do something that looks like it's a good thing to do, and it's really not what God's plan is. That actually, that good thing to do will, will function as a distraction. And anything that takes you away from your prayer life, you should say no to. Right, so so think about a think about a devoted Catholic person, mm-hmm. who is continually asked to get involved in this ministry or this ministry or this or this, and they continue to take them on, so that, that now their prayer life is suffering because they're either burned out, worn out, or they're overextended. God doesn't it sounds, want that.
0: It sounds very familiar, all of a sudden.
1: <laughs> See, Mike. <laughs> right. This is
0: but this is why I surround myself with pastoral people who remind me of these things because it's true. Yeah. I, I think. I think it's everybody's nature, particularly business people in this day and age, mm-hmm. um, that we let our spiritual side fall to the to the wayside. And I fully admit that is me. I, I, on any given day, I would say I have no prayer life to to speak of, and some of it you know, is because I am so busy, and some of it is because, you know, in my life, in my my world, I deal with a lot of crisis communications, and sometimes I just Mm want to put my hands up and go, you know what, I'm going to go watch football right now for an hour, or, as you know, for me, baking shows for hours on Mm -hmm. end as a way to distract me from a lot of the crises that I'm dealing with. Um, It could not have been easy for you to gravitate to a prayer life, though. Was it something you jumped into and you were like, oh, this is going to work?
1: Nope. No, no. I was always jealous of people, you know, like you'd meet people over the course of your lifetime and you just know that they're holy. There's something that radiates from them, you know, and when you get to know them, you kind of peel back the onion on who these people are. You're like, what you come to find is they have a, they have a powerful prayer life. And I thought I need that. Mm. I want me some of that, you know, so really it was cultivated over a long period of time. Like how many Catholics do we know that pray the rosary? Okay, millions, thousands, right? All kinds sure. of people pray the rosary. I didn't start praying the rosary till like eight years ago. I have a mother, I have a grandmother, and I have a, um, my, my husband's mother devoted to the rosary every single day. I was like, eh. You know, like eight years ago, I felt like, A, I hate to admit this, learn how to pray it, right? <laughs> know what the different mysteries are, and on what day of the week you are to pray that. Hey, you listen, I'm and now i do, Now I don't like it if I miss, hmm?
0: I'm not going to point fingers. I, I, for the longest time, and even now, I still need to refer back to the, the guide to how to pray the rosary when I pray the rosary. Yeah. Because I think I think for a lot of people, it is difficult. I mean, I have a terrible memory, so praying things by memory is difficult for me to begin with. Yeah. Um, but I think for a lot of people, they look at praying the rosary as a task as opposed to mm. an opportunity for, I don't know, spiritual direction, meditation maybe is a way to put sure. it. When did, when did it, when did you sort of jump the fence on that? Like when it, when it, the rosary wasn't a chore and it was something that you really looked forward to.
1: Well, I actually would say to our lady while I was learning it, I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, what? not really feeling like prayer to me, mother, you know, but I'm just learning. Like I have uh, the nature of my personality is to when I commit to something, I usually never walk away from it. It is rare. I have to walk away from, I mean, it has to be a major reason for me not to finish, you know, so I like to try. And if if I set out to learn how to pray the rosary, then that's what I was going to do. But I used to say to her, I'm sorry, it just feels like rote. I have my little piece of paper out and I'd be praying along the beads, you know, and, and then finally, it it took two years. Isn't that horrible? Do I maybe I don't want to admit it took me two years to figure out how to pray the rosary, like by memory, mysteries, days of the week and all that. Because really what it is, it's a a walk through scripture. And And I thought of it days of the week. Yeah, certain mysteries are prayed on certain days of the week, right? Like you play the glorious mysteries on Sundays and Wednesdays. This is news to me, okay. Right? So I don't know. Some listener could tell me I'm wrong, but that's how I memorized it. I could have memorized my pamphlet the wrong way, but that's how I do it. (laughs) Okay. And um, But it was – because really what it is, it's a walk through the life of Jesus Mm -hmm. alongside of his mother. Yeah. Well, who doesn't want to do a thing like that?
0: That does sound lovely. Yeah. Actually, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, uh, Donna, that's the first time it's ever been explained to me that way. And I've been a Catholic a long time. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I love about it. It's what I love about the rosary, you know, but so there's time in adoration. I, I have never been one to go to adoration. That's only in the last couple of years to mm-hmm. really kind of sit there. And I used to take all kinds of things, books, paper, pen, as though, you know, Jesus was going to speak directly to me and I should be able to write it down, you know, all of that. Um, now I go with nothing, you know, when I go, I go with nothing and I'm looking for quiet time so that I may listen, you know, and sometimes I still can't hear anything because my brain has a hard time shutting off, you know, there's always all these things I'm thinking about. So
0: I will Um, admit that adoration,
1: yeah, it's funny because adoration is something I have gravitated to in the past
0: and it's Mm -hmm. never, no matter where I've lived, it was never offered uh, that frequently. So I've never really been able to do it that much, I guess, really except around Lent. Um, But it is, that is when I feel, it's going to sound strange, but that's kind of where I feel most embraced is sitting alone uh, in a church during adoration. I used to love going to, um, like we would have 40 hour adorations. I'd always sign up for the overnights. There's nothing better than Mm -hmm. 3 a.m. in a church, particularly on a cold February evening or morning really and um and just sitting in there and praying and i you know it's funny you mentioned i remember bringing books with me and then i would never read them like i maybe maybe read a page of it and then i just kind of i don't want to call I, it i guess it's meditation but i i i would just be sitting there thinking but not not the kind of thinking that keeps a person up at night the kind of thinking that that kind of gives them clarity of thought mm-hmm. you know by by you know dropping everything else
1: out of the world um You know, I say, Mike, you used a very interesting word. You used the word embraced, Mm. that you felt embraced in adoration. That's kind of where we go to get, right? To be embraced by Jesus. He's right there. He's either in the monstrance or in the tabernacle. So I love that word embrace, because if we're open, that's how it will feel. And if we need it, too, that's something else I think is important. If you need it, you just ask and it will come. He'll do it.
0: (laughs) You have such a positive uh, viewpoint on our our faith and our and the relationship that we have with God and Jesus. I like that. That's very nice. Yeah. You know, it's funny because growing up, yeah, um, I, I had a I, I was a typical credo Catholic. So you know, growing up, I you know did all my sacraments, and everything, did everything I was supposed to do in the order that I was supposed to do them in. <laughs> Um, but for whatever reason, for a long time, particularly like, I'd say from my late teen years, probably to my early 30s, I was kind of a, this is going to sound a little Protestant, I apologize for that, sort of a Jonathan Edwards, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of guy. <laughs> I, it, there was never, it was, it, like, and I was perfectly comfortable with that, with the, the idea that, you know, it wasn't the warm embrace of God. It was the do it or else kind of mm. embrace. And maybe it's my Irishness um, that I have sort of an, an affinity for that. But um, I found that in, in my Catholic faith, I haven't really – maybe I felt like I never needed it. You know, I, I felt like yeah. I, I didn't need a spiritual life because it's so easy. I just just do whatever God tells me to do, and I'll be fine. I know it sounds – incredibly childlike. But it's um, I, I, but I think that philosophy has kept me from enjoying a lot of the spiritual nourishment that I hear people like you talk about.
1: Maybe. But like I said, in the early part of our conversation, this is all about a series of small steps. It's progress. And, and I hear you on the just do it, right? Just do it. I'm just going to do what God wants. So the childlike confidence that I think you and I kind of sound like we have, but there's also the more mature faith that is the discerning. I, am I sure what God wants me to do? You
0: know, so for you, you were a secular professional for most of your adult life. Yeah. Um, the great majority of your adult life. And now you've been a Catholic professional for the last,
1: how long has it been? Is it been three years? Two and a half years? Two years? Uh, two and a half now with the two and diocese. A half years.
0: Yeah. Um, Did you find that 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 brought you more opportunities or did it put more hurdles in front of you in terms of your (laughs) Catholic faith?
1: Oh, well, there were days I thought, (laughs) Jesus, you should pick somebody else for this work. (laughs) Yeah, it may have given me opportunities over the course of a long career to build some skills, but I don't know about this space, but he always, you know. Always gets you through. Uh, the so what I would say is around what it's like to actually work for the church, right? So I spent 30 years working for a big pharma company, and and then come to do this. Quite to my shock and surprise, uh, that this would be where I was called. But I will tell you, five five years prior to that, um, you don't know have people think they can negotiate with God, or you like you're trying to tell Jesus how to do his job. Sure. Five years prior to coming to, to work for the diocese, I was negotiating with Jesus. And I said, you know, and I was in a, what I, I could not name it then, but I could name it now, right? It's in a period of, of significant spiritual desolation. It's kind of where one of those periods where God feels far. So I told him what I wanted. I said, so I want mad, fiery. I want to be madly and on fire in love with you because I meet those people and I want what they have. If you do that for me, I'll follow you wherever you take me, wherever. Boy, you have to be careful when you lay that down Mm, in front of them. That's true. Got to be careful because five years later, I find myself now working for the church. And I'm like, oh, I should have been a little bit more specific back then in 2013.
0: You made the deal. You're in now.
1: So i (laughs) am going to hold up my end of the bargain, you know, because I've met people that are like that. And I'm not in, in a sinful way, envy, like, you know, one of the big, you know, sins. But I was like, God, I need that. I want that. Because it's a different kind of life. And I wanted that. Yeah. And so I promised I would follow. And so here I am.
0: Yeah. It's, um, I did not make that uh, deal with God. but. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I, I think in some ways I'm here for my penance, but that's all right. The, uh,
1: no, it, oh, trust uh, me. There's all kinds uh, of like you know purgation that goes on in this life too. <laughs> you know.
0: I, actually, I, to be tr- completely truthful, with you, I, I was recently asked this question, and I said I, I have not. There's not been a single day that I've worked for the Diocese of Camden where I haven't wanted to get up and make sure I got to work early, or well, in my case, somewhere adjacent to on time. Uh, but always working late, always working nights, always working weekends, um, because there is a beauty to really, I, it, it's, a, there's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to spend this much time around people who have such a genuine devotion to our faith. I was editing one of your fellow hosts um, shows last night and they were talking about their their relationship to their faith and it's uh, it's, it's one of our shows called Keeping a Catholic and it's um, um, Star Martinez and Ho- her fiance, uh, Jose Rodriguez. And so anyway, they, they were in a room by themselves, taping themselves it was just the two of them. And they're just talking to the camera and talking to them about what it is that motivates them as millennial Catholics. And I literally was sitting there going, God, this is so beautiful. This is so wonderful. Their formation is so deep, not near. And they're, I don't, I don't, wouldn't say that their formation as Catholics is, I mean, they don't have advanced degrees. They don't have, They haven't spent a lot of time in Catholic school. Um, but they've, they've surrounded themselves with people of deep faith. Uh, and you can tell that it's really rubbed off on them and that, and that they want to be leading into one of our next topics. They really want to be missionary disciples. They want Mm -hmm. to bring the faith to the people and I, and a part of me is so jealous of them that it, they're in their mid-twenties mm-hmm. that at this stage of their life, they're 30 years ahead of me, you know?
1: Right, well, and you, like, you look 25. at Star and Jose yeah. and you think, I wish I'd have been like that when I was their age. Yeah. And I wasn't. And I'm not generally someone that, you know, looks back a lot. A, a spiritual journey is, a, is a, long, a long and slow progression. It's a series of steps. And that's where God has brought them in their mid twenties, yeah. you know. And it's just they're beautiful to watch and to listen to. I love it. I think yeah. they're a wonderful, beautiful holy couple.
0: Their episode comes out on Tuesday, uh, the Tuesday after everybody's listening to this. So make sure you go check it out. Keeping a Catholic, yeah, talking Catholic. Uh, if you ever want to go to our website to find all of our content, it's talking.catholicstarherald.org. I, I will. You know that's one of the downsides. Here I am as the guy that puts together all this digital media content, and I do such a terrible job of promoting. We never really talk about it on the podcast. I just kind of take it as is. We, we promote things on social media, but if, if you ever want to find all the stuff we're talking about or any of the back episodes of things that you may hear us discussing, always go to talking.catholicstarherald.org. It uh, holds all of our stuff. And if you want to see what the new stuff we put together. Go to CatholicStarHerald.org, and you'll see everything from the Diocesan newspaper. It's really good stuff. Of which, uh, I believe last week, Donna, you had a very, very, very long article.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, but, okay, so here, it's about telling a story. And I can't necessarily tell the story of, you know, 20 people in like 700 words, because it just doesn't happen.
0: Nah, I don't know. I've been writing for a long time. I could pull it off. But you did a great job and you really pulled it together. It actually is a very good reason. As a matter of fact, I was sitting here thinking as we were listening to, to you talk, I was thinking, you know, what is it going to take me to convince um, Donna to write a book? Cause I think that might be your next, one of your next steps. I know there's a lot yeah. on your plate, but. I'm, you I'm,
1: and my I'm, mother, my mother's know. like, Donna, you really should write a book. You have so many mm-hmm. stories now. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't want to edit it, but you should definitely. <laughs> I'm going to give but you Mike, a timeline of uh, 2025. I expect your first book before 2025.
1: Well, Mike is my friend me, I would only trust you to edit my book.
0: Okay, but Carl Peters, the, the publisher of the, or the uh, magic editor of the Catholic Star Herald would be better. He's, I'm a terrible copy editor, but I'll tell you what you got wrong. I'll tell you, I'll do that. that
1: yes, of course you will. I would, I have complete trust in that at this stage <laughs> of what I get wrong. Every once in a while, just if you're listening to this, Mike, I have to say to him, I'm like, you are not the boss of me. Yes.
0: She's wrong, Father but it's true. <laughs> true. The, uh, exactly. No, no, of course, we all, we all take our cues from uh, the Vicar General, Father Robert Hughes, and the Bishop, Bishop Sullivan, and our, our excellent bosses, two people I yeah. have never had a problem working for. And the truth of the matter is, Don and I push each other about equally hard. I convince her to do things that she would ordinarily not want to do because, oh, yeah. you know, it means more stuff that she's going to have to do. And uh, she makes me do things properly, which is, uh, <laughs> which may Wait. not. I, mean, I always, not want to that's a talking.
1: fair exchange.
0: No, yeah, What are you talking about? If, it, listen, if the convocation had, if I had been in charge of the convocation on the pastoral side, it would have been like a, it, it would, it would have basically been a fascist regime, regime is what that, there would have been. There would have been no openness, there would have been no dialogue, it would have been a bunch of academic presentations, listen, take notes, go back and do this. And you realized that the manner in which you engage with people, in addition to what education you are trying to bring to them, um, was really, was one element that is incredibly integral. And the second element being you got to listen to them too, you got to be prepared for feedback, which is something that I think for those of us in this line of work uh and and actually i think i think that back any professional i think uh the, the good ones are the ones who who not only will listen to people and their feedback but will encourage it right
1: and i think that i think that's right so if you look at the full title of my office it's discipleship so what is that about it's about making disciples and forming disciples people that are willing to share the joy of the gospel, right? Help people that their lives should shout the gospel to everyone else. So not necessarily with their mouth, like I don't mean that, right? Like, is it obvious to people why you're a follower of Jesus? So that's one part of my office. The other part is leadership, right? So how are we cultivating Catholic lay leaders, right? How the whole topic of uh, co-responsibility in the church, which is that the clergy with the laity Is co responsibility for the active life of a parish of the church? Mm -hmm. So they have to do this together, you know. And I think you have to really look at why are you taking on the role that you're taking on? Why do you do what you do? What's your motive, you know? And I think sometimes some of us have to check ourselves and think, Am I doing this for me? Am I doing
0: Well, we just had a little technical difficulty there. Donna uh, was, and I were having a lovely conversation right in the middle of it, and uh, the battery on her computer died. So oh, we lost everybody. I got
1: no warning. But she's back, so that's okay. I'm back now. Yeah.
0: And you, you were on such a great rant. Uh, not rant. You were in such a great role. You were, I, was like, I was looking, I was like, oh, man, what's she going to say? More now? And there it went.
1: It's exactly how a friend of me talks to you. You were on a great rant. I mean, I mean <laughs> something else. <laughs> I mean something but less I, angry. Something less angry. Uh, but I think it's important, right, for, for, to think about leadership in the church. Um, it's really about the laity really stepping into its role as leaders, because I think that's really critically important. And in some places that's going to require some equipping, but more laity really do need to come forward um, and think about what it's like to bring God to the people. So think about where the lay people are. Where are we? We're in so many places that our good and holy priests are not. So what's our job? You know, our job is to bring God to the people. So we have to think about really what that looks like. And I think from a clergy perspective, you know, the the understanding and the awareness of like really sharing in the work of the church together with the laity. I think that's a really critical piece. And that's where the whole concept of co-responsibility, Pope Benedict has written about it. I think it's in the I think it's in the canon law. That's not my area of expertise, you know, but it is a significant component to how the church will thrive and change the lives of other people, especially the people that the world does not see. If we want to touch their lives, we have to think about what it's like to go forward. You know, and and
0: and, and that's a, and that was something that, you know, just talking a little bit more about the convocation and, and missionary discipleship in general, you know, when in our diocese, our bishop, has really been promoting the fact that we need to move beyond the church walls. And, and I, you know, having you on today, I really wanted to talk more about the, the spiritual nature of, of what we need to do as Catholics. Cause on this podcast, we tend to talk about nuts and bolts a lot. And I really wanted to talk about, you know, the, the sp- spiritual reasoning of why we do what we do. So can you give some, some explanation of from a from a spiritual standpoint standpoint of missionary discipleship not the least of which is a connection perhaps to your favorite photo or a favorite uh visual image of all time the road to emmaus so I many times we, yeah so many times you <laughs> have asked us to include somehow the road to emmaus and something we've been doing and you have this it's actually this beautiful image you really wanted to use i refuse to let you use because um We couldn't, we couldn't establish who owned the rights to
1: it. Right. We we will not break the the law in this diocese. No, until we can figure that out. Uh, But it's this whole idea of a, you know, of an encounter with Jesus and how do we do that? How do we give someone an encounter with Jesus? That's how it's going to happen. And I really think it's the whole idea of the Holy spirit, trusting in the Holy spirit to flow through us, to be connected to the Holy spirit to really trust when someone is in front of you, to not be afraid, because the Holy Spirit will always give you the right word. So there's these, there's four elements really to missionary discipleship. And one is this encounter with Jesus, right? So we build trust with people, you know, cause there are a lot of people in the world that are seekers, right? So they, they we often talk about in our culture, like all of these people that are, you know, not with, the, not with the church, they've either left the church or they were never part of the church, they're still seeking, right? They're, they're not, they're people that don't know, but they have that restlessness like Augustine. How do we help them? So how do we enable an encounter for them with Jesus? And there's lots of different ways, but there's also that whole idea of accompaniment. How do we accompany people on their journey? How are we someone that is the hands and feet of Jesus along with them and help them see that the horizon of their life can be very different than it is today. Like those are some seriously big responsibilities that are embedded in our baptism. Yeah. And then our faith is not private. Like my relationship with Jesus is not a private thing. It's never intended to be private. It's intended to be shared.
0: Yeah. You know um, I think that's a, I think that's a difficulty that some Catholics have, not all of them. I mean, some Catholics are very sort of, um, forthright, forthright um, public with their Catholic faith. But I think there's a, I think there's a natural inclination for, for Catholics to be kind of reticent about promoting themselves. And I think, a, I think a little bit of it is, you know, particularly here in the Northeast, where there's a lot of Irish Catholics, you know, we kind of play things close to the best. Um, and so I, I'm talking about myself and my own upbringing in, in that regard. Um, But I also think that with sort of the, the secular divide that's happened in particularly in the United States, but, but across the world as well, where, you know, the the beliefs and traditions of the Catholic church come into question with modern, um, you know, modern, modern perspectives. And I kind of wonder if people have gotten a little gun shy about being comfortable with, with, proclaiming their Catholicism, you know? And I think I think if, I, if there was anything I could do to help those people who are concerned that they may bring criticism upon themselves by being overt Catholics uh, is to tell them that, you know, the beauty of who you are and what you do is that you're part of a community. And it's a large community. Mm-hmm. and a loving community and embracing community. I mean, we make Catholics, I think by our very nature, particularly American Catholics, whereas we're as divided as any other group when it comes to, you know, the the cultural norms of today. But the sure. truth of the matter is I will defend every Catholic to the, to, to my dying day to be able to worship the way they do and, and for our beliefs to be kept the way they are and for us to, um, not become um, subject to government overreach, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's important. And I, I, would, I would hope that um, Catholics would become, would be more comfortable embracing that. Have you, I, now the people, a lot of the people you talk to I would say are, have a very strong Catholic nature, but have you come across people who have difficulty, you know, proudly proclaiming their Catholicism?
1: Yeah, I, I think they do, right? And so many people, I think the experiences. So, if you think about a lot of the people that I work with across the diocese, right, from all the different parishes, you look at them, they have children. Many of them now have grandchildren. They're not in the faith. They're trying to engage in these conversations because they're heartbroken right that yeah. they've raised their children in the faith and yet they themselves are away from the faith the children or the grandchildren are not being baptized or raised in the faith it's difficult to evangelize in your own home so i just think there are a number of things so hence it goes back to the importance of a prayer life and trusting in god and that's a hard thing to do especially if you've been praying for decades you know it's a really hard thing it's really and and so it goes to the point, do you really trust? Mm-hmm. Do you really trust in the power of God? So I think that's important. The whole idea of kind of being a vocal Catholic, I think there's lots of different ways to touch different people. And I think having a good, um, I don't know, I don't like to use the word toolbox. It sounds like a little too practical, but a lot of different ways. <laughs> Works right? for me, I <laughs> that, that line, that, that, that stuff works for me perfectly. Toolbox, you. tool, tool box, belt, right. you know. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot that goes into us being missionary disciples. And I almost think our ability to ask good questions yeah. and our ability to remain quiet and listen. I do not think it's a skill we have. I, I couldn't name a culture right now that I think has really exquisite listening skills. To a certain level, it can be... You know, trained and taught, and we can become better. You know, you often tell me you, ha- you absolutely know I-, I have no problem talking, right?
0: <laughs> that is true. I, I wasn't right? afraid that we were going to be able- not going to be able to fill up 54 minutes, I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> but I think our ability to truly listen to other people and allow those relationships to cultivate and build trust. And I know mm-hmm. some people listening to this will be like, I do this. I-, I have asked good questions, I have listened, and yet it doesn't happen. And so then we have to look inward and say, do I really trust? You know, you know I mean, listen, I, I have some friends. I'm like, I, I've, I've, I've asked Mary. I'm like, I trust these friends you. They have no faith. I love these people. I want them to be in heaven. I want them to, to be at the banquet. And I just love the whole imagery of, right, that heaven is a banquet. I want them to have that. Nothing I do or say is really impacting that. So I turn them all over to Our Lady and I say, please take these people to Jesus. I need them in heaven.
0: You know, you just said something that that um, got me to thinking, you know, I think that there are in addition to everything else that we face as human beings um, and, and uh, you know, our lack of divinity as a, as a human being in the sense of being omniscient and omnipresent and things of that nature. Um, I think that there, many of us get into these silos where we believe that everything we know to be true and our reasoning behind it to be accurate. And I think the truth of the matter is, and at least this is the manner in which i've I've sort of lived my life, I, I continue to question uh, everything. There, there are very few things that I, I don't question. And when I say question, I, I don't mean that I suggest that they are they are false. I question that. I think I still always need to have the, the debate, to discern, to have the discussion about why it is that I believe the things that I think I believe. Um, and it, are there other perspectives out there that would add to what I what I know? And are there? Is it possible that for many years, perhaps? I have had a particular opinion about my spirituality, and you could use this for any topic, but we're talking about spirituality here, uh, that I have had this belief about my spirituality that may in fact have been wrong all this time. And it wasn't necessarily that I was trained wrong, but maybe it's the kind of thing that morphed over time without me realizing it. And therefore, until I actually take a minute to sit down a minute, This might take years, but until I take some time to, to sit down and really think about it, really discern it, um, I won't come to the realization that maybe I was on a, a bad path, mm-hmm. as it were.
1: But, but look I mean, at all those. Go
0: ahead. Well, I was going to say you're big into Ignatian spirituality. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of self reflection in that, right?
1: There is, uh, particularly that's why I like it, right? And I also love Ignatius's story, right? He was a massive sinner, <laughs> right? Anybody that does his history. He, you know, most of them who have studied his life extensively, they will say he violated every one of the Ten Commandments before his conversion. Well, because he was military, you Mm -hmm. know, he's got strategy. What is the overarching strategy, A, to win a battle? So, okay, he just converted that to how to win a spiritual battle, Mm -hmm. right? And then tactics. There's all manner of things to do. And one of the things that I think is so significant is, like, are you moving towards God or away from God? He's got a whole host of ways to help you kind of figure that out What do you do when you're in spiritual desolation what do you do when you're in spiritual consolation really just wonderful wonderful you know techniques to kind of like anchor yourself he also has this amazing prayer practice it's called imaginative prayer which is really placing yourself in scripture he's not the originator of it but he's just a wonderful teacher of it is to place yourself so every sunday place yourself in the gospel who are you in the gospel are you part of the crowd that's listening to Jesus? Or are you one of the apostles who's having that conversation with him? Maybe you're one of the Pharisees who's trying to trip him up. Look mm-hmm. at the answer, right? So I love that whole idea. But I want to comment on what you just said around like, okay, if I take all of these factors into consideration, am I on the right path? Was I moving in the wrong direction? I think we all do that. And I think it's the, our ability to kind of figure those things out, like discern, it's such an important word for us not to be taken lightly, lightly, um, particularly as Catholics, because there are certain things we need to figure out. And all of us probably take issue with some church teaching somewhere, you know, like there's something in there somewhere you're like, yeah, no, I wasn't cut out to advance that particular church teaching. I don't really like that one, you know, but that's, you know, personally, that's my effort not to ever be a cafeteria Catholic. I want it all because I find great freedom, more freedom than being constrained by following Jesus's teaching. And I love that the idea, and I didn't come up with this, somebody did years ago, is that Jesus's teachings are simple. They're simple. Love, serve. But there ain't nothing easy about that. because there are lots of people that god created that it is hard for me to love and to serve (laughs) and that's the truth
0: that uh i hear you i absolutely hear you on that one yeah um, yeah but you know I, i so so what do you do in your life to help in addition to everything we've talked about already you know i know i know you talked about the rosary um you know what practical applications particularly of uh, your Ignatian perspective, do you do you avail yourself of? For instance, I mean, I know you you did you you took the trip to the Holy Land earlier this year, right? Oh, yeah. Right before right before life got shut down, you oh, barely made it out alive. But you were barely did.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, So I was on the um, pilgrimage that Father Hughes and Bishop. We're on to Israel, on to Italy in February, and we are literally in Italy, in Rome, in Assisi, while they were locking down the northern part of Italy. So, you know, by the skin of our teeth, till we get out and get home. And, um, but here's the thing that I think is so significant for us, and it's kind of a mantra for me now, is when I was there, I really learned a lot around the culture of the first century Christians, like we listen to the gospel and the letters of Paul on most Sundays and the Acts of the Apostles in the Easter season, right between Easter and Pentecost. We should not read any of that lightly. They were persecuted. Almost every apostle was martyred in order to share Jesus. But here's the thing that I love about really learning about them when I was in Israel. They met in each other's homes. They didn't have churches. But they didn't have churches. They still went to temple, right? So think about, you know, St. Peter was primarily called to the, um, convert the Jewish people. They still went to temple. They still went to temple and prayed every day. But then they met in each other's homes. They broke bread, right? So what did Jesus teach them uh, on Holy Thursday? They met together, but they had to do it in secret. So they had these like codes on the outside of their houses, like a fish was carved into the into the wood of the frame of the doorway. There was this other thing that um, you could look at five loaves of bread. There was another symbol. Like you had to go into the next town and you were looking for those houses because it indicated that there were Christians there. And I thought, I love that whole idea of small group, small groups of Christians eating together, praying together, talking about Jesus and what they taught and what he taught them. Love that because that's how they spread it. That's how they spread all that good news all country after country or continent after continent, however that goes. I love their story. That's who we are. That's who we are today. And we have technology that actually enables some of it. You know, And someday yeah. when the pandemic's over, we'll do a little bit more back together.
0: Well, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is, I think technology has made it in, in a lot of our lives, I think technology has made our life a little bit more difficult because there's now a cacophony of competing messages, um, which mm-hmm. is, I think, why your small group work, your small, you know, yeah, group, group co- connections really probably are even more beneficial than a hundred Zoom calls or a yeah. thousand live streams. Coming together in community, even small community, are, is incredibly important. Just having that opportunity to be around people who have similar beliefs, who have a similar structure and are on a similar path, um, you know, you, you'll, we, we can still go to mass together, currently socially distanced, but hopefully that'll change over time. We'll go back to normal again but just the fact that you were able to come together and I'm sure knowing you guys, you were all wearing your masks in your living rooms and, and keeping six feet apart as good Catholics should right now. But, um, but you know, I, I took you know, watching your video from the previous week and, and listening to your, your, your friends, your summer school friends and talking about the book club that you guys were a part of. I, I had a twinge of jealousy because, uh, you know, for for me for the last six months it's been a very kind of lonely road um because mm-hmm. i don't know i just haven't been in i just haven't had been in with people other than on the job for a while and all the stresses that come with that um so just listening to you talk i was like oh man i i wish i had some wish i'd had something similar to that to to be able to be a part of of course Nobody invited me to your book club, so what am I, you know, I guess I really mean she be too upset about that, but, all right, fine. Probably because
1: as, as my friend of me, I figured you'd be like, ah, I'm not doing some silly book club at 7.30 on a Saturday morning. But I will say well, something, that though. Well, that
0: part's like, absolutely true. Also, the last right. time you asked me to so, read something, I also didn't read it, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, exactly. But I, I do think small group, uh, we met by Zoom because we came from all across the diocese to do that book club. And even um, my small group that meets on Friday nights right now, we meet by Zoom at seven o'clock and it's really just been a wonderful experience. It's really good for people to connect, especially my small group on Friday nights are people from my parish who, without this, they'd still be people. I go, Hey, when I saw them at mass, now I know them. Now they're my friends. There is
0: something nice about that. I was, somebody was uh, telling me last night, it actually was part of the Knights of Columbus meeting that I was at. And somebody was mentioning the fact that, um, um someone, someone had done a study at some point that 30% of men who go to masses couldn't tell you the, the first name of um, five people in the church, five other men in the church. Now, I have mm-hmm. no idea if that statistic is actually correct. I question the person who says it. But I conceptually, though, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I certainly yeah. was one of those people that would go to mass and hi hat and off I off hey. go. Yeah, I'm definitely one it. of those guys. Yeah,
1: but at well, the same even, time- even thinking about, but Mike, even before the pandemic, and yeah. now in pandemic, we're all like, okay, I'm in, I'm out, right? That whole idea of fellowship, we have to figure out how to bring back and how to get people connected again. I mean, that's really the work that's in front of us, you know, and not to be comfortable with mass at home. Right. If you're able to come to mass, I don't want anybody listening to this going, oh, she wants everybody to come back and be at risk. No, I don't. You know, but if you're able to come back to Mass, you just come back to Mass.
0: So He's a very wrap-
1: good, he's a very good Father God. So he's calling. That's right. And he's calling.
0: Make it back somehow. So anyway, as we uh, wrap up here, Donna, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, make sure, sure you check out her shows on uh, youtube.com slash Talking Catholic. It's called Joyful Disciples. Comes out every two weeks on Thursdays. And uh, her last one was all about her summer vacation. I have no idea what her next one's gonna be about. I can't wait to be surprised by it. But she tells me it's gonna be fun. So um, make sure that you guys check it out. And thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week.
1: Bye. Thank you, Mike. Bye.